Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Neighbors Church Podcast. My name is Dan, here with my beautiful wife, Alexis. And we have just come to the conclusion of Holy Week at the time of this recording. So, Monday, Thursday, we had a beautiful evening together. Good Friday, traveling the 12 stations of the cross. Very, very powerful. Yeah, just really resonant in the times that we're facing right now. Of course, the silence of Saturday as Jesus went into the tomb and then the explosive, unstoppable, unwavering joy of the resurrection of Jesus. And to top it off, the sun has come back out in San Diego. It has been just... the Lord. (laughs) Yeah, it has been a downpour. It has been gray. It has been rainy. And we went on a walk this morning and the sun was out. And um, yeah, COVID-19 crisis, quarantine, but boy, my heart is just lifted and we're we're really praying for our friends, family members, neighbors, that hearts can be lifted through this time. And yeah. so we're having these conversations every week just between my wife and myself on the different topics that come up through this time and how we're handling it and how we're turning to scriptures. And we just thought we would record them and get them into your ears. We're really grateful. Honestly, we're really super humbled and honored that you would let us into your home and into your headspace right now. And so we trust and we've prayed for you that even as you're listening to this podcast, that your spirit would lift uh, into the presence of Jesus and that you would be given perspective and uh, that you would be able to experience a moment of reprieve maybe from the anxiety and just experience your good God who loves you so much. He's watching over you and caring for you. So that's kind of what we want to talk about this morning. Um, We want to be talking about how we are experiencing peace that surpasses understanding, not only in the midst of the scare of the actual virus, but the other big component in this time is the economic crash. 16 million people are applying for unemployment. Uh, There are Crisis loans being doled out. The money is running out fast. Uh, States are now getting into arguments with the federal government and with the president himself about how and when to begin rolling the economy. This is unprecedented economic uncertainty, and that can create a tremendous amount of anxiety. You may be listening to this right now, having uh, lost your job. You're uncertain about how you're going to pay rent or even how you're going to get groceries. And we just want you to know that your fear and your anxiety, if you're a Christian and a believer, it's okay. Be gentle with yourself. It's justified. These are legitimately hard, scary times. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we have the words of Jesus. And as apprentices or followers of our master teacher, we want to press into his words. And so Lex and I are just going to talk about three specific things that we're doing right now uh, as you know, we're facing everything that everybody else is facing, this level of economic uncertainty. What's going to come? You know, we're, we're a church plant in the middle of a pandemic. There's certainly no handbook on how to handle this type of situation. <laughs> so we want to turn to the words of Jesus. And uh, one of the most powerful teachings that Jesus ever gave in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to turn things over to my wife and her voice is just so wonderful to listen to, and she's going to read these scriptures for us, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. Babe? Yeah, Matthew six, twenty-five through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I feel like we could just end right there. That's it. Go take a nap now, loved ones. Jesus has spoken. (laughs) You know, in every circumstance and in every context, certain scriptures like Psalm 23 and this amazing meditation and teaching from Jesus in Matthew 6, they take on a whole new power and force. It's been said that Jesus was either a complete lunatic or the Lord of the universe. And when you read these words where he literally starts out telling you and I, in the midst of the greatest economic collapse possibly in our nation that we've ever seen, he he starts with this, don't worry about your life. <laughs> It just is so counterintuitive to the way that we have been trained and the way that we commit ourselves to being in control to the to the to the untruth that we provide for ourselves. Jesus just steps right in and says, "All right. Now you don't have control. Now you're not able to provide for yourself. And my child, the first thing I want you to do is not worry." Yeah, in many ways, it's really comes against the whole idea of the American dream. You know, you have your home and your white picket fence and your two and a half kids and your cat and your dog. Um, Really, Jesus's words um, in many ways come against that, where he's saying, Mm -hmm. yes, there's wisdom in preparing for the future. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly, we're not saying don't prepare for the future. But there's also this reality that... um, None of this is actually in our control and we can do our best. We can certainly seek to honor God um, with our money and with the things that he has given us in this life. But we're also not promised this dream that, especially in America, we've been raised to believe like this is mine. Mm. Um, And so I love this Matthew 6 passage because it really confronts that idea as an American and it really comes back to like that dependency on our Father mm-hmm. to provide for us, to give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, there's a really important point here. You know, pastorally, be encouraged. Your anxiety and fear is justified. This is a scary time. And yet, anxiety and fear, those are lights on the dashboard of our soul. Mm-hmm. They reveal where there's a problem of sorts within the system of our faith. What worry reveals is that we actually don't believe, that we, we, we actually are worried because we do not believe that God is going to 
provide for us. And so we have to actually get, I like to say this often, we need to get our theology into our biology, or we need to get our belief into our body. We are holistic beings. That anxiety and, uh, and that fear that you feel, that tension in your body, that feeling in your chest or in your stomach or the tightness in your, in your neck, those are all chemical reactions in your body. Cortisol and adrenaline and all these things are ramping up your body. But God has also given us our mind and our brain by which we can mitigate some of those things as we believe and as our belief gets into our biology. So it's super important in times like this, when you're feeling anxiety, when you're feeling fear, that you slow down. What's happening in your body is you're experiencing fight or flight mechanisms. They are in the unconscious. They take over. And what you are interpreting in your world right now is like a tiger is coming after you. And so you need to either fight it or fly away from it. <laughs> uh, but we know it's not a tiger. And we have the words of Jesus saying, don't worry about this economic tiger. So what we need to do is first slow down and become still. We have to become aware of actually what is happening in the present moment. We don't need to be planning, strategizing, figuring out how we're going to stop the economic tiger from eating us. We need to first slow down. And Alexis and I have, over the years, really embraced the practice of Lectio Divina. And this is uh, what we, it, it literally translates uh, God readings or holy readings, um, godly readings. We would encourage you to get your belief into your body around this notion of anxiety, particularly around God's provision for you, we would encourage you to come to this passage, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Sit down, be still. Uh, I like to encourage people to do a, a body scan, meaning you just become aware. You, you flow up from your toes, your feet, ankles, into your calves, into your upper legs, into your belly and hips. And you just notice where the tension is, where the fear is, where the anxiety is. And breathe into that as you repeat the word trust or faith or love or Jesus, whatever it may be. You're just bringing your body into awareness. And then pray, Spirit, speak to me. And slowly, carefully read through Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, as slowly as you can. You're not trying to analyze the passage. You're not trying to figure out what context it was spoken in. Um, the mystics used to say, you let the passage read you. And so as the words, possibly the words, do not worry, maybe that just leaps off the page. The Spirit would have you stop there. Ignatius would say where there's this where's the where there's the beginning of the the popping up of fruit in your spiritual practices don't rush past them so that tiny little moment of do not worry it resonates with you slow down there stop pray through do not worry journal ask why am i worrying don't rush on do not worry about your life. You read through the passage very slowly and you let these things sink into the deeps of your being and deep into the, the places of your unconscious even. And spirit meets with spirit in groans and utterances that you can't comprehend. The practice of Lectio Divina takes you through this passage two or three times. And so you need a half hour, even an hour, 
to slowly work your way through this passage and pause where the words or the sentence or the imagery comes alive to you and rest in relationship with Jesus. One of the ways I love to um, find peace um, during my day, of course, as Dan mentioned, the Lectio Divina, but I love to go for a walk and listen to the words, you know, in this passage, it says, consider the lilies of the field. literally obey Jesus. Yeah. um, Consider the lilies of the field. Um, Look to the birds. I like to uh, go for a walk, listen to the birds. And I love to also, as I'm walking, stop and smell this fragrant flower and delight in it and look at it and go, wow, like, this is incredible. God gave this beauty for me right in this moment to delight myself in and to, to, to delight myself in him. She, she's not kidding. We'll set out. We'll say, <laughs> hey, let's go for a 15-minute walk. And 45 minutes later, we're just now getting home because every set of flowers, my wife's like, stop, wait, smell. Oh, Some amazing. of them are just so fragrant. <laughs> but it's become a beautiful practice for me. And especially for my personality, um, sometimes it's hard for me to know what I'm feeling, but I do feel this tension in my chest or... Um, I feel a pit in my stomach, but I can't articulate what's causing it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, walking, that physical act of walking, there's something that happens for me where it's like connects my brain mm-hmm. to my body. And it helps me to, as I'm considering, as I'm looking at the birds, as I'm delighting in this beautiful flower that smells so good, I find that I start to get to the core of what's causing mm. um, this tightness in my chest. And then from there, I'm able to um, go, oh, Father, this is what's causing this. I want to surrender this to you. You've through the walk and through delighting in creation and just asking at the beginning of my walk for the, for the Lord to make me aware of what's happening in my body. Um, I'm able to come to him more in a, to a place of surrender. I think my wife is highlighting something that's really important with anxiety and fear in this time and that your personality and your wiring will require different engagements mm-hmm. of different practices. We're Enneagram people. Um, I'm an Enneagram 8, textbook 8, and my wife is a textbook 9. And nines tend to numb out and be unaware of what's going on in their bodies. And so for my wife to be still it would actually be a form of paralysis. But instead, as she goes out and walks, like she just said, it's it's forming in her a present awareness of what's going on in her body, according to her personality type. For me, as an eight, I'm like a constant um, exploding volcano. And it doesn't help me to get out and move more. The minute I begin moving, I'm already planning and strategizing. I have to, uh, what Chris Horowitz says is, I have to consent to stillness. And so I would encourage you, if you know your Enneagram type, there's different ways of engaging in your body and your anxieties and your fears according to your Enneagram type or your personality type, how God's wired you. And ask him, ask him to show you that. You know, on the bird thing, uh, this is something that I've been engaging with over the past couple of days, and I've, I've really found it powerful. And it's literally to look at the birds, like literally as we're on a walk or as I'm sitting out in the, in the backyard watching the birds. We have this little hummingbird that our kids named Joy. I just ask, how did that bird get breakfast this morning? (laughs) Like how? How did that little hummingbird get breakfast? Did she wake up and labor and strive 
Was she rushing? Was she full of anxiety as she just went and was drawn to the beauty of particular flowers? And then she stuck her, I don't know, hummingbird nose? I don't Beak? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the bird people are going to be killing me Guys, right we're now. not sciencey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're definitely <laughs> not a zoologist. Uh, anyway, the bird, the hummingbird, you know what I'm saying? She wasn't worried. And I'll sit, uh, I will literally just contemplate. And then a crow will fly over and I'll see that the crow has like a piece of garbage in its feet. And I'll be like, oh, God provided that piece of gross garbage for that crow. And that crow has had breakfast. And then I'll expand out to all the birds that I'm listening to. And I'll just give thanks. Father, every one of them has a full belly right now. They're all good. Which means if you fed them, how much more will you feed me? The second thing, too, that I have really found amazing is to take in the colors of creation. When when Jesus says, observe the lilies of the field, look how they're clothed. I've been doing that lately. I'll go out and I'll 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 say, Father, I'll just I'll try to take in the green of the grass, the blue of the sky, the splashes of color in the flowers, the even the man-made colors in the houses and the homes and the black pavement, and just the sheer tonnage of creative wisdom and power in the way that he's clothed creation. And I'm overwhelmed by it in the present moment. Whoa, look how beautiful this is. And that means I'll probably have a shirt on my back today. I think it's important to talk about um, as we're considering provision and how we don't need to strive or worry about our needs being met to distill in our souls the difference between wants versus needs. Yeah, this is a hard part of the conversation. Even with our uh, one of our first gatherings over Zoom with Neighbors Church, someone brought that up. They brought up specifically, how do you discern um, needs and wants? And what does that look like in our context now? Because that is so easily confused. Um, I think this would be a good time to talk about differentiating that and distilling that down in our souls. Mm Yeah. The lilies of the field have allowed God to provide their clothing and the birds of the air have allowed God to provide food as he sees fit. They don't have an entitlement uh, mentality and they don't have a competitive mentality. They're not looking at each other saying, um, I want to have this type of food and this type of clothing. They just receive from their father because we, as, and this is not condemnation, I'm part of the system as much as anybody else. We as Western Christians in urban hubs like San Diego or wherever you're listening from, we we really are the most well-to-do humans that have ever existed in history. We We have more provision, more protection, and it has created a deformed view on what is need and what is want. And a lot of our anxiety loved ones, at least I'll speak for myself, a lot of my anxiety comes from fearing that I'm going to lose things that I'm absolutely persuaded are necessary needs when in fact they are only wants. Mm -hmm. It's interesting too, because in America, while we are so wealthy, there is so much pain and hurt and poverty all around us. So many um, children going hungry at night. Um, but we have this, um, deformed uh, perspective um, on what is need and when it's actually a want. Yeah, this is a really um, 
it's a really healthy, introspective process to discern what you're fearing losing in the midst of an economic crisis. So, for example, when we were asked, how do you discern what's the difference between a need and a want? Uh, Here's a very, um, I don't know, hard to hear example, but it's a true example. In America, we have uh, a want of owning our own home. Owning our own home. That is a that is a want. There is no need. There's no need. We do need. We need shelter. We need a roof over our heads to keep us from the elements. Uh, but it is a want that that shelter is owned or mortgaged. That is a want. And so if our greatest anxiety is that we could possibly lose our home, like in the 2008 recession, whatever, whatever that anxiety is, you have to become so, um, so honest with that anxiety and then ask the next question. Even if I lose my home, will I lose shelter? And Jesus says, absolutely not. You will have protection. You will have provision over your head as you pray. It may not be what you want. It may not be where you want. It may not look like what you want it to look like, but the lilies of the field have been clothed and he will clothe you. He will provide for you. It could also be maybe uh, through circumstances, through a loss of job, that kind of thing. Maybe it's, you don't want to own a home, but maybe you're like, I want to just live in my own home. I want to be by myself. But through circumstances, maybe you're going to have to live with your parents or with a friend. And that doesn't feel ideal because we are this individualistic, independent American. But um, real beautiful works can happen in our souls um, when during those seasons where it feels like everything's being stripped away. I have so many um, people I know in my life who have gone through um, economic turmoil and have been forced in seasons of their life to live with a family member again when maybe they weren't or to live with friends. And just their testimonies are so rich and incredible. Certainly, it was difficult. They struggled, but also they really got to tangibly experience provision from the Lord in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise on their own. Yeah. You know, our individualistic culture, um, we have just really gone off the rails on the way that humanity has taken care of each other for, for, for millennia. Um, the extended family wasn't just mom and dad and the kids. It was friends, neighbors in hospitality, honor, shame cultures. Um, it was an anathema, which means cursed. It was the ultimate cursing. It was the ultimate point of like, you're not a good person if your neighbor needed help and you didn't help them. And so it was just a given that you would take your neighbor into your home, that you would feed them, that you would care for them, that you would exhibit lavish hospitality. And so in some ways, you know, we've talked a little bit about how COVID is going to reframe the fabric of society. And this may be one of those pieces for a lot of us. Some of us are going to be able to take people into our homes for a season, let them live with us, care for them, provide for them free of charge. Some of us are going to have to receive that hospitality 
and the the need will be met, but the want will be distilled down to the need as God just makes a way for us. Just briefly, I'd love to share a bit from our own life um, in a season that Dan and I uh, honestly had very little, um, and we practically received from the body of Christ and um, really learned the difference of need and want. Um, early in our early on in our marriage, uh, we were incredibly uh, had very little, let's just say <laughs> we had very, very little. And um, oh, a lot of times we were uncertain in terms of uh, our food, like how are we going to eat? How are we going to get our groceries um, this month? And um, it was so crazy how many times we would show up at our house, our little apartment that we lived in, and on our front step would be a bag of groceries. Mm-hmm. I'm certain some of that provision was probably from my dear mom who knew very well. Thanks, Kim. Um, Love yes, you. Yes, thank you, mom, who knew very well uh, just the circumstances that we were facing. But also there were others that cared for us, that took care of us, um, and that loved us and really showed, um, like the birds, we could be provided for. Our food was provided for. And it was so beautiful. And so I share that to encourage you that um, we've we've faced, Dan and I have faced um, trial in our life too, where we've been uncertain of how things would be provided for. And yet here we are just about 19 years into mm-hmm. our marriage. And we look back and we go, oh my gosh, like, do you remember that time when God provided for us in that way? wow, look at the hand of God intervening in our lives in this specific way through this provision of from a person. And it's just, it's really powerful. You know, what I'm most grateful for, when I look back on those days, um, boy, uh, maybe you'll resonate with this. Maybe it's just me and my pride. Those Those days were humiliating. They were humiliating for me. I... Um, I had trusted God and left my my really high paying construction job and gone into a ministry context that we willingly chose that you know and um, it it was just and I would read passages where it would say you know give uh, like in Proverbs if you give of your first fruits your wine will your wine vats will be overflowing and I can remember being humiliated where's my wine vats overflowing you know at um, and being angry and crying out to God. And yet when those bags of potatoes would show up on our little upstairs apartment balcony, um, though it was humiliating and hard, I also had this deepening resonant sense of a good father providing and that his words are true. And like my wife said, you will, you will look back on these scary times and you will see how God formed your soul and how he shaped your perspectives, and that there will come seasons where your wine vats do overflow. And honestly, it won't matter. You will be so grateful to either have overflowing wine vats or not. It's the presence of Jesus and the provision of Jesus. And that leads us to the final piece that we want to talk about in this time, because this is a time to press in to the crazy, ludicrous words of Jesus, where he says, don't worry, but the rest of the, the narrative, the story arc of God's people in the Bible 
is that God's people have treasures that cannot be taken. Therefore, in this life, they are radically generous Mm -hmm. to the level that it is it is apparently imprudent and high levels of risk are taken by God's people so that they can be generous with each other. Yeah. Second Corinthians eight, one through five says, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. Just some quick context on that. That's St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, encouraging the Corinthians to remain faithful to what they had promised to give. There was a famine in Jerusalem, and Paul was a fundraiser, and so he was raising money for the churches in Jerusalem to help them. And to encourage the the Corinthians, Paul brings up the community in Macedonia, who had been enduring a great moment of affliction and trial, enduring the same famine. And yet, Paul says, out of their extreme poverty, when you would think that they should have been battening down the hatches and locking down. Instead, they were begging Paul, how can we help the people in Jerusalem? It is the backwards, counterintuitive way of the kingdom of God people, and it is an unprecedented moment for us as the church to do such things. Yeah, this really is an opportunity uh, for the church to practice compassion as our brothers and sisters have done throughout the, throughout the church history. Um, they showed compassion and generosity towards one another and to their neighbors. And when you read through the Gospels, we have this example found in Jesus. He's continually showing radical compassion to those in need. He provides for them. He heals the hurting. And this set an an example for that early church, and it sets an example for us today. In Acts 2, we read about the early church selling their possessions to give to anyone who had need. And now more than ever, um, we're being given an opportunity as a church to rise up in a way that we haven't really had to. Um, but now we're giving this, being given this opportunity to share with and care uh, for one another. And already, even within Neighbors, it's been so beautiful to see how God is providing. Before we had even mentioned, before we were even able to get up, get set up a a compassion fund, excuse me, we had people from our church texting saying, hey, we want to give, we want to help people. How can we do that? And it's just been incredible to see even now the compassion fund is set up how there's already funds in there to help people and we're starting to hear of needs. And so it's like already the money's there. We can instantly start providing and caring for people who have need. And it's just, it's so incredible helping people with their rent, providing grocery cards. It's truly beautiful to see how the body of Christ is caring for one another. The Jesuits have a saying that God will not be outdone in generosity. And This opportunity that you, my dear friend, are being given to rest in the provision of Jesus 
and to, to allow him to distill down wants from needs, needs from wants, and get you down to your foundations, your core with him, and then to practice this radical, risky generosity, it is, it is an opportunity not to be missed for the, the kingdom of heaven to dwell in your being in such a resonant way and see God move in such a resonant way. And so um, with all that being said, as my wife said, we have set up a, a COVID compassion fund from which we can draw funds um, to help people uh, with groceries, with rent, getting food, um, you know, multiple needs. We're, we're developing ways to kind of assess what the need is and then how that can be taken care of by this COVID-19 fund. And so if you call Neighbors Church your home, we really want to encourage you above and beyond even your regular giving, give to the COVID-19 fund. Um, The stimulus or the crisis packages are unfolding this week. Tax returns are coming in. That's an ample opportunity to really pray, okay, I want to be prudent. I want to set aside. I want to be wise. And I want to give generously. And God will meet you there. Just practically speaking, if you do uh, want to give to this fund, you can go to sdneighbors.church forward slash give, and you can specify um, which fund you want to give to, and that's going to be the COVID-19 Compassion Fund. We'll put the link in the notes of this podcast, so it'll be right there and available to you. As well, if you are someone who needs help or you know of someone who needs help, please contact us. We want to help you. We want to bless you during this time. And we really want to, as a community, support, encourage, bear one another's burdens during this time. Let's wrap it up. Um, I would really encourage you right now, turn off the podcast. If you can, go outside and sit down and listen to the birds. Meditate. Ask, how were they fed breakfast? Become still. Take in all the colors of creation. Look at how God has clothed creation. Breathe into your anxieties and replace those anxieties with a sense of resonant peace and love. Start praying through, Holy Spirit, how would you have me to contribute, to give compassionately in this time? And so from my wife and I, from our our incredible church family, Neighbors Church, and our family of churches, Park Hill, and the rest of the community that we're so deeply intertwined with, and the church at large, uh, from us to you, God bless you, Mm -hmm. and we love you, and may God so richly provide for your needs in this time that you would look back on this time and, and with assurance and hope and glory to God say, my Father is so good. Shalom. Yes, shalom.